Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Zozo Championship. And joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, what up? Welcome. Rick, you caught me off guard. I was I was making a lineup, and I was jamming in Kyle Stanley and Wesley Bryan. So I, th- those are my lock button guys this week. So I'm sure we're starting with them. We're off to a great start. Yes, I can't imagine how you don't win all the money this week. So pre-congratulations. Greg Ducharme rounds out our team for today. Greg, welcome. It's Monday and we are going to Japan. Yes, we are, uh, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, looking at the golf course, we've had one version here already. And see, I mentioned a couple guys. I, I like where his head's at this week with, uh, with, with Kyle. I mean, there may there are some questions but i'm sure they will answer them there are questions certainly for sure see let's get this out of the way japan is 13 hours ahead of united states eastern time which by my calculation i've not seen tea times or anything but this this is probably going to lock around 6 p.m eastern on Wednesday. So do not be left with your dummy lineups in there. Do not be left holding the bag, not getting your bets in, not getting your lineups in, because that's going to be a thing this week. I don't appreciate the allegation that I already have dummy lineups in. I feel like that was meant for me. <laughs> I, I do. Uh, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Well, th- you're right. I mean, it's it's one of those things like, you know, things are accelerated a little bit. So I think there will be some people that, that do that. But yeah, it's kind of cool though, right? Because we get golf a little sooner i guess so i you know i'm i'm happy to have some nighttime wednesday night golf to watch yeah wednesday night overnight golf uh it starts at like 10 or 11 on the east coast it'll go all night so greg this is uh this is coffee brewing season. Get your get your coffee ready. You can stay up all night. You can pull the 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 double shift. You just don't sleep for 4 days. You could do all your normal stuff and watch all the golf. Yes, and you just you're trading sleep for golf. So uh um, yeah, that's a. It seems like a fair trade to me. Let's turn our attention to this golf course. I'll share my screen. This is my website, RickRunGood.com. This is the course key stats tool. And what what we were mentioning earlier is that we've seen this course one one time. Narashino Country Club. This is or was the host for the 2019 version. That was won by. Let me check my notes. Tiger Woods. Yeah, one. This event, uh, Hideki Matsuyama finished runner-up. And Sia, this event was played last year, but it was played at Sherwood Country Club. Patrick Cantlay won that event. So this is it. The one year, the one year's worth of data, you're looking at the screen right now. Uh, That is what we have to go on. So how are we going to attack this golf course and make our lineups? Well, okay. So for those of us that are watching on YouTube, again, this is rickrungood.com. Correct me if I'm wrong, but but of these stats that you have up here, driving distance would be the most important of them. Is that what this tells us? That's what this would tell This would actually tell us that in the one edition of this event, the strongest, the stat that was most strongly correlated with success was driving distance is the way that this would read. Excellent. And so, of course, we have a limited sample size, obviously, with with just one year here. So it, it's one of those things. Driving distance makes a lot of sense, though, because the, the rough, unless you just go way out of bounds, that the rough is not going to be super penal here. So you can miss the fairway. I mean, I think anybody would say, well, I just want a more accurate hitter. But I guess the point here is the driving distance is probably going to be more important than I don't know, in some people's minds, because I've, I've heard this both ways, you know, driving accuracy is, is going to be important to set yourself up for that approach shot. So I'm kind of splitting the baby personally. I, I'm looking at off the tee, driving distance, but I'm also looking at approach really hard too. So uh, it's just one of those things. We don't have a lot of experience here. So right. I'm going to focus on some of the more sort of basic metrics. For sure. And that, and I think that's a, a, a great 
idea and a great plan uh, of attack for this week. So driving distances or distance in general is always an advantage. Uh, some places more than others. But Greg, forget about the stats here because this is one year's worth of data. I'd argue in any other situations, very, very, very noisy. I'm not going to put too much into it on the stats side. This is kind of a tree-lined course, isn't it? Or at least there are trees. I, I, I wouldn't say uh, fairway lines, but if I don't know another ten yards, you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of trees on basically every hole out here, aren't we? Yeah, if, if my memory serves me right, it it has a look of a a West Coast kind of golf course. Yeah, um, on the Pacific, you got some of those big what are they cypress trees? Uh, you got some cypress trees out lining the fairways, which is really cool to look at. Really pretty scenery. Um, and uh, aside, so I, I do think positioning is really important. And when I look at the data, I guess I understand where it comes from. But when I look at the leaderboard from the the 2020 PGA Tour season version, and I look at the names on the top of the leaderboard, I see a different correlation to success. And the one that I see, I'll just read you the names and you tell me what you would think. You got Tiger Woods, Hideki Matsuyama, Sung J.M., Rory McIlroy, Gary, 2019 Gary Woodland, Corey Connors, Billy Horschel, Ben on Charles Howell III, Danny Lee, Ryan Palmer, Xander Shoffley, Keegan Bradley, Shane Lowry. When when I hear those names, yeah, I hear a lot. I hear a lot of approach. I was going to say you're turning this into a ball striker conversation. I hear a lot of iron players. I absolutely agree with that. By the way, I absolutely agree with that. So I, I mean. What do you think, Rick? When when you look at the data, you look at the names. Does the data, because it's such a small sample size, take less of a role? Do you put more into names, or or is that is that saying that hey, these players they may when you identify their name and their brand, you may say, oh, well, these are the best iron players in the world. But the data may say they drove it long, and that was their reason for success. How how do you de- how do you decipher that? Yeah, so one year's worth of data, uh, I don't want to say is useless, but it is uh, It is very, very noisy. And I mean, th- th- these guys can be multiple things, right? I mean, uh, Tiger Woods, Hideki Matsuyama, Sung Jae, and Rory McIlroy, 2019 version of Gary Woodland, certainly not the shortest hitters on planet Earth, right? So there, there is right. a, a strong correlation to some of these other things. But no, you're right. I would prefer to probably take into account more common sense uh look at the leaderboard look at the state of the game that we have right now you know the way that they do this in japan which is uh generally with two different greens that uh are generally smaller than average and they can play to both of these different greens i i I am with you greg that this this will be a week where i will rely on more the standard strokes gain approach uh, the birdie or better percentages, things that are so strongly correlated with fantasy success. That's how I'm going to be building this out. The other thing about these guys near the top of the leaderboard, they're not, I, I and I don't like this term, but I'll use it anyway. The, the bomb and gouge philosophy, right? Hit driver everywhere, see where it ends up and utilize your strength that way. Uh, these guys in the past, have been and the ones that really stand out to me would be Tiger Woods, Gary Woodland, uh, Corey Connors. These guys really jump off the page to me, I, and I would include Hideki in that as well. And they have a uh, they are very smart golfers. They have really high IQ, and they're not afraid of leaning on a longer approach in to, for position. Um, maybe they're veteran players, a little more savvy. Maybe they're part of a a changeover era. But what I see is guys that aren't afraid to lean on iron play to win. So they're, they have a, a tact about them, especially Tiger Woods. And he definitely clouds the vision there. But that being said, I wanted to talk to you guys about this general concept. When you look at a course that you don't have a ton of data on and you, you got to come up with your model. And so this is a statement. I'm going to make a statement and I want to ask you guys a question. It'll be, what do you think? Do you agree or disagree? But I I think in fantasy golf, it's really important to come up with your model and stick to it, at least at the core. And there may be exceptions, but there are so many, especially early in a season when we don't know exactly. Some guys have had a lot of time off. Some guys have played a lot. There's a big mix in that. And 
so recent form can be a challenge to lean on the way you can lean on it in March or May, where you really have an idea. Guys are really in a rhythm and you really know where their game is. There are some guys who are working on their game, changing things, and it may be coming back into form, may not be. There are some guys who are rolling it on from last season. So there's a big difference there. And what I like to do, what I did last week, which led to some pretty good success, is you you find guys that have a, a correlation with the course. I My model last week was lean on great drivers of the ball and guys who play Fazio courses really well. And it got, it got a, a Gary Woodland. It got, um, it got a Keith Mitchell. It got Rory. It got those three guys, Cam Smith to be the four. Those would be the top four guys in my lineups that perform really nicely. There were, you know, you lean on, on recent form, you go with a Mark Leishman and it may have bit you. So there are some, when it comes to lineup construction, I'm a big believer in, especially this time of the year, the model that the course predicts is something you got to stick to. And it gives you the greatest chance instead of trying to pick the flyer, which I think the flyer is really hard to pick. You, you stick with a model and you can come up with a really solid core. And I'll tack on to that, C, and see what you think about this. Uh, I think Greg is right. And this time of year, what I would prefer to do is I will give the the better players, I'll, I'll kind of look at their long-term form, right? A Rory McIlroy can flip a switch and win a golf tournament at any time. We've seen that. Colin Morikawa maybe didn't play great on the PGA Tour coming down the stretch, but like, look at his longer form. And then for some of those flyers, for some of the cheaper guys, I will lean more on recent form, more on whether they're riding the hot hand, but give kind of the more expensive guys the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I agree, but I think we have to qualify the recent form too because the tour championship, particularly with strokes gain data, like it kind of skews some of the metrics a little bit. So I think for me, this in this sort of swing season, I'm actually going back like 50 rounds, sometimes more, sometimes a touch less. Mm -hmm. But whereas, you know, I've said this before, usually I'm looking at last 24, last 36 rounds. I want to sort of get a bigger sample size back to, let's say, May, back to April, June, to see how these guys played sort of in the middle of the season. Because I think that's probably a better predictor than what we saw, let's say, right before the tour championship or during the tour championship. Yes. Uh, I'm going to jump over to the cheat sheet, but let us reminisce for one second. Tiger Woods uh, won this event the last time it was held here. He looked, if I remember correctly, horrible in the skins game that was, I believe, the day before. Remember, it was Jason Day. I think it was Day, Rory, Tiger, and Hideki. Yeah, in, in the skins game, I thought Tiger looked horrible. He bogeyed his first three holes of the week on the back nine, 10, 11, and 12, three over through three, wins it by three shots. Just that's I the mean, thing that stands out to me the bogey in the first three holes, the more so than the skins game. I, I had forgotten about the skins game, those first three holes, thinking, yeah. oh boy, this is this is not good. And you turn it on on Sunday and he's he's holding the trophy. So I think that speaks to a bigger issue, though, wh whether it's Tiger Woods or not. Anytime we receive um, late breaking news or data that somebody's <laughs> just out of shape or tired or is using this as a practice run or slightly injured, it is all like the, the opposite outcome always bears. It's true. always wrong. <laughs> Almost 100 percent of the time. So, you know, it's one thing if it's like really legitimate, you can, you know, kind of like sink into it. But most of that news or the quotes that people pull from from interviews and things of that nature that happen on the course, you know, the day before during the practice rounds. Man, that that stuff is usually just, you know, sending you in a direction you should not be going. You would have been better off sleeping through the skins match the night before because it was on like late, like overnight. You would have been better off sleeping through that uh, and not getting that information. You would have been better not hearing Colin Morikawa say he struggled with the turf over in uh, over in Europe before the Open Championship. You'd be mm -hmm. better off with a lot of this. It, maybe I should start making my lineups uh, for next week right now. Maybe that's what I'll start doing to avoid this situation. That's a different story. Let's go to the cheat sheet. Here it is. There are, again, uh, I believe we're going to get to 78 golfers in this field. So it's basically the same thing we had last week. It is uh, 78 golfers, no cut. The bottom uh, of this player pool is generally players who have been, uh, received exemptions uh, from the Japanese uh, golf tour, the Japan golf tour. But the top of this board, now five golfers because Paul Casey, he gone. He has withdrawn from this event. Colin Morikawa is the most expensive. He's 11,200. Xander Shoffley, 10,000, or excuse me, 11,000 even. Will Zalatoris, 10,5. Hideki Matsuyama, 10,3. And 
Am I reading this correctly? Tommy Fleetwood, a flat $10,000. Greg, when you start to look uh, at this $10,000 range, no offense to Tommy. He'll probably win this week after I say this. Uh, one of these is not like the other. Yes, uh, he stands out, and and he is the obvious fade in this range. Um, and, and a large part of that is you look at the model, and if you're leaning like me towards approach, you can't go wrong in the first three, four. You can't go wrong in the first four guys on that list. Hideki Matsuyama is a, a hometown guy, played really well last time. He's one of the best ball strikers that we have on the PGA Tour. He's a guy you got to you got to look to Hideki as, as a, a real option. But then Will Zalatoris, how's his iron play? How about Xander Shoffley? Um, it's pretty good. And Colin Morikawa is the best iron player in the game. So I, I don't see a way you can go wrong. Stay, if you stay away from Tommy Fleetwood, that being said, Xander and Morikawa really stick out to me. And, and I just feel like this is a this is a Xander week big time. Um, and, and I think if he wins this week, he could be, I mean, he could be called the emperor, right? He, he is his success with, with, with the gold medal, a Zozo championship. He came in tied 10th last, last year. Xander Shoffley really sticks out to me in this one. Didn't have his best stuff at the summit club, still found a way to finish T 18 played well on Sunday, just to kind of mine into this Tommy Fleetwood thing real quick here. Sia, before we get your thoughts on uh, this $10,000 range, it, most people assume or remember or credit Tommy with being a great ball striker. I think that's mm -hmm. what we would say. He's a great ball striker. It's not the case. It's not anymore. So I have 113 measured rounds on Tommy this season the 2021 season and the 2020 2020 season. That is a large sample size. He is a small negative in terms of ball striking. He's basically a net zero. If you go back and look at his career before those years, he was gaining nearly a stroke per round in the ball striking categories. That's the Tommy that we know. We have not seen that Tommy in two and a half years. Yeah, it's so interesting that he's even up here. And then you look at the rest of the field and you're like, I still don't get it, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. I mean, he should be maybe like a flat 9,000 instead of a flat 10,000, maybe. Uh, very interesting. It's an obvious fade. I mean, obviously, if you're throwing a dart into like, you know, 150 max, you're just playing one lineup. Maybe that's where you get your leverage and you just try to, you know, cross your fingers and get lucky. But I agree with Greg here that it's to me. It's either Colin or Xander. I'm leaning towards Colin just because he rates out so well. You know, what, no matter what you look at, approach, birdie or better, um, short par fours, long par fours, uh, strokes gained par five. I mean, it's just clicking for Colin Morikawa, even though he, he, you know, he had a little stretch here during the tour championship where he was, you know, very average, if not below average. But I like what I saw at the CJ Cup at the summit. And uh, I just think he's he's the best suited of this top tier to just take a tournament down over four it rounds. And don't you think, Sia, the the tour championship, the playoff run that he had, there's kind of a defined reason why he struggled. And and I, I like that. It's easy to rule that out because he had an injury and it took him a little while to get healthy, first of all, coming back from the Olympics, ironically, in Japan. And then he had to, his swing got a little bit out of whack and it took him a little you know, a couple of weeks to get it back on track. And all of a sudden he's shooting 62 in the final round, making a comeback that on Thursday or uh, on Friday or Saturday, you would think he had no chance of, and all of a sudden he's right there in the mix with a real chance to win. So I, yeah. I think he's answered that question and I'm very comfortable taking the playoffs for Colin Morikawa and just taking it out. Yeah. I assume, I assume Colin and Xander will eat up uh, the vast majority of the ownership up here. See, it's not only because, so I think, I think the top four are certainly a tier of their own, and, but mm -hmm. I think it's Colin and Xander in like tier one, a Zalatoris and Hideki in tier one B. Uh, will there be a leverage situation in just going with a cheaper Hideki Matsuyama, who is going to get the absolute heroes welcome. He's going to give you a grind over every single shot. They're going to have 5,000 fans per day on the golf course, or even Zalatoris, who's probably going to be the odd man out uh, outside of Tommy Fleetwood in this range. Like, is there enough incentive to go down to one of these other two? Yeah, I mean, just from a pure game theory standpoint, certainly there is. If you're playing just one lineup this week, then my answer is no. But if you're playing five or ten, like most people do, 
I mean, I, I definitely think taking one or two shares of Will Zalatoris and or Hideki Matsuyama makes plenty of sense. If I had to rank those two, I'd probably go Hideki over Will Zalatoris in spite of Zalatoris. Uh, let's see. I mean, he missed the cut at the Shriners, but prior to that, he was pretty good at the Fortinet, the Sanderson. Um, he's been he's been good overall, even before the uh, tour championship. He was starting to come back from a, a tough stretch. But for me, it's definitely Colin. And it's a little bit of Xander and like maybe one or two shares of those two guys we just mentioned. The thing about Zalatoris is his ball striking is elite and it definitely belongs in this class and this price range. But his win equity, in my opinion, doesn't. And I think there's a really there's a marginal chance that Hideki wins. I feel like for Will that he wins the event, there's a, a fairly low chance he actually wins. For Morikawa and Xander, they're eating up a lot of the... If you look at probability, I would imagine they're eating up a lot of the win share in this event. And and so when like a Tommy Fleetwood and a Will Zalatoris are in this range and you're pretty confident they're not going to win, it's hard for me to start a lineup there. If they were a little bit lower price, that's yeah. I mean, I, I could I get a top 10, a top 5? Yes, of course. Uh, and And... A great bet would be a top 15 finish for Will Zalatoris. I just don't know if he can putt well enough to close the deal and win. And when you're starting your lineup in that position in a field that's top heavy like this one is, I I find that to be a challenge. I find it to be interesting that Zalatoris, even when he was dominating the Corn Ferry, only won once. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Winning's hard. I get it, but... Sometimes I like to see guys getting into the winner's circle. Mito Pereira, for example. Um, right. The 9K range. Let's pop on down to the 9K range. This is where things start to, well, like, we are we are off the rails immediately here. There, these are golfers that are generally $2,000 uh, less expensive. Joaquin Neiman is $9,900. Ricky Fowler, who was, by my memory, $6,400 last week, gets a 30 yeah. $400 price increase to 98. Mm-hmm. Alex Norton is 97. Siwoo Kim, EVR, Keegan Bradley. And then we round out this range with Mav McNeely, Cameron Trigale, Emiliano Grillo, and Mackenzie Hughes. See ya. Um, oh boy, what are we what are we doing here in the nines? Actually love a few guys here, and it's the classic ball strikers that I that I typically talk about, kind of no matter the course. It's Keegan Bradley. Mm-hmm. Uh Cameron Tringali a little bit, and then Emiliano Grillo. So Grillo played pretty well last week. I think he had a T18. Of course, he dropped some shots with the putter, but he was good everywhere else. And he wasn't a travesty with the putter, mind you. So um, that wasn't a huge deal. Keegan Bradley is your ultimate ball striker. Um, He's good on the par fours, long and short. Around the green game is pretty good, which might factor in here. Um, Can I tell you this this season, Sia? uh, Keegan, I know it's six rounds. This season, a positive putter. Uh, which, you know, last year he lost a half a stroke per round with the flat stick. So just give me that version of Keegan. Give me zero putter version. Can I ask you, I'd like to ask you both a, a question here. So these greens over in Japan, I know we have the, the two greens and that's that's mostly what we hear about, but they're also very meticulously manicured so that they're generally speaking, this is my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong, that they're very smooth. And, and to me, that leads me to believe that putting is potentially a little bit easier that the reads are a little bit easier that the the putts are just a little bit smoother even for the the bad putters let me fire a counterpoint (laughs) go no please and i don't know the answer greg we're going to defer to you on the answer here so uh what c is saying is 1000 percent correct these are unbelievably uh cared for greens that they have here i would argue or i would at least throw this theory into the ring that bad putters don't want pure greens. They want everyone to struggle. They like POA. Maybe it'll bounce in, play a little pink Plinko game. What, what are your, what are your thoughts on very pure, uh, perfect greens for bad putters? Well, perfect greens. I define them as honest. They are true. Uh, That's a, a very common word is they're Oh, they're really true. And that means you get what you earn. So when you hit a really good putt, it goes in. When you don't hit a very good putt, it doesn't go in. So bad putters in general, my my concept is bad putters will do better on flatter greens. And I'm not sure about the bumpiness. Because another thing is on POA greens, when you have somebody who really hits a, a pure putt and they get the ball tumbling quick and they know what they're doing on the greens, a la Patrick Reed or Jordan speed. They, they do well because 
imperfections affect the ball less. When you hit a bad putt on Poe, it, it can, I mean, you got to miss the read. You got to miss the line. Sometimes you even have to miss the speed to get lucky to have it go in because you're missing one of those elements and it, and it can bounce offline. But smooth greens eliminate variables. And so for someone who's starting their putts online, they'll go in. They'll, they'll go in much more often. It, it limits variability. So, so go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was, was just going to say that that variability point is so important to me because I think, and Greg, correct us, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, when you're a bad putter, a lot of that is just your, your mental state. You're just not, you're just not, there's something off. It's not like you can't hit a putt. And when you're removing variables, you're removing breaks. And we saw it at the Olympics, right? People were pouring in putts from like 35 feet out and it was like everywhere constant. And so to me, it speaks to the fact that now that you're quote, removing variables, you can you can kind of zone in on the shot itself instead of all those other external factors. That that's sort of where I'm going with it. Yeah, I un I understand where you're coming from here, and you're right. This is the other thing to consider. These guys are PGA Tour players, so they may be a relatively poor putter, but that doesn't mean if they went out and played with you on a, a Saturday morning round, they would be. Uh, you'd say, "Wow, that guy can't putt." <laughs> right. you, I don't. I don't think you'd leave saying that if you played with a, a tour player. He, they they may narrowly miss a lot. They're probably going to make a lot of putts, and you probably leave saying that guy can putt. But relatively speaking, compared to other PGA Tour players, they may not. So on from that account, see, you could you you could have something there. But the biggest thing, more so than the bumpiness or the smoothness, the biggest thing with greens that separates bad putters from good putters is slope. Because the the touch required goes way up when greens are slopey. That's why you see great putters putt well at Augusta National, for instance. And that's why in Florida, when we get to the Florida swing from the California swing, California, very hilly. You have a lot of movement in the greens. You see short games and putters succeed. And then you get to Florida and all of a sudden the ball strikers team, no putt shows up because the yeah. greens get flatter. So breaks go down. The putt you're hitting is more inside right or outside the left edge and your touches, the, the importance of touch is limited to some degree. So that being said, I, I just I don't think the smoothness has a huge effect on good putters, bad putters, as much as the slope in general. Interesting. Um, this 9K range, it features one Ricky Fowler at 9,800 coming off of his uh, close call for victory last week. And Greg, I want to get your thoughts on this 9K range, give you an opportunity. But Ricky led the field in strokes gained tee to green last week. He led the field in strokes gained off the tee last week, lost strokes with the putter. If he can kind of get that DNA back, are we, are we ready to invest in Ricky? If so, great. If not, who else are we going with? Man, it, it's such a big price jump and it's almost like you're still early on Ricky. If you're down in the 6,400 range last week, it's a, to a large extent, a flyer. I mean, I had two guys circled. One worked really well. One didn't. It's a perfect. I mean, Cam Davis and Keith Mitchell were two guys I mentioned in the 6K range last week that I liked for a reason, because I thought there I thought there was a great course fit there. Uh, Keith Mitchell obviously was a huge success. Cam Davis was not a huge. He, he was a, a you could argue a failure. He likely would have missed the cut if there was a cut. Ricky Fowler now up in this price range. It's almost like you're going early on him again. You took a chance on him last week. It worked out. But the problem we've had with Ricky in the past has been the the week over week consistency. And there's been this whack-a-mole effect where he hits it really well one week. The next week, he he puts really well. And they never they never happen together. So the biggest thing I'm watching is can Ricky repeat this driving performance? And from what I saw in the golf swing, from what I saw in his confidence, knowing that he went and spoke to Butch and Butch gave him the stamp of approval last week, I kind of feel like there may be a little run coming on. Here we the go. one thing, the one thing that holds me back on Ricky is, well, I guess there's two, the travel and the huge price jump. I don't like chasing that price jump, but in this case, I honestly, I think it could be worth it because he's that he's, he belongs in this level. So he's still not necessarily way overpriced at 9,800. He is uh, among, if you look at career history and success and talent, he belongs in, right in this class where he is in the field. 
it's just a big jump from last week, which could scare a lot of people off. And hopefully it does. He's just, he's so popular in general. So I don't know what to do about his ownership. I liked what I saw with the golf swing. I lo- I'd love to give him another chance. Uh, so I'm, I'm uh, quite frankly, I'm on the fence. I hate doing that. I'm just, I'm I, on the fence. I'd be interested to see that uh, what ownership does look like as we get closer here. We can start projecting that out because he is one of the most public golfers out there. Uh, but yeah, people are, are going to have a tough pill to swallow paying $9,800 for him when he's sandwiched between Joaquin Neiman and Alex Norman, who have been objectively much better golfers for a long time. So Greg, I'll pitch this back to you because I teed you up on Ricky Fowler. Yeah. If it's not Ricky, who else in this 9K range would you feel more comfortable with? I do really like Keegan Bradley, who Sia mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on him. I, I like Keegan. I, I'm willing to go back to the well on Joaquin Neiman. I expected a really good week out of Joaquin last week. Didn't quite get it. Um, but I, I think he his ball striking is, quite frankly, uh, elite. I, I think it's very, very good. And I love what he does with his iron play. Although there was a the Tour Championship, it did not go well. The BMW went really well. And then afterwards, we've saw we've seen small gains at the Shriners and the CJ Cup. The finishes just haven't aligned. But I, I have a feeling that this putting issue that Joaquin Neiman is having right now is going to turn around at some point soon here. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, look at what he's lost putting. He yeah. I mean, there were there were three weeks, it's four out of five weeks he's lost more than two strokes putting. Yeah, it's one of the I, worst putting stretches of his career. But do you do you look at that and say there's a there's a pop coming? There's another Shriners where he gains three. There, there's another week like that. Is that more likely than another bad putting week for him? I think so. I, I think that the longer we go, the closer he'll get back to being. I mean, he was like a top, I don't know, before before the stretch at the end of the season, top he was 30. Like a top, yeah, I was gonna say he was like a top 25 putter last year. I think he's I think he eventually gets back on track and he has, he has had these, he has had these stretches before, you know, at the end of or middle of 2020, he had a similar five event stretch earlier in his career, uh, in early 2019, a similar five or six tournament stretch. I mean, he just seems he'll, he'll figure this out. I'm, I'm more optimistic than that. Um, and then the other guy, I know Sia mentioned him as well. So I, I do like Joaquin. I'm, I'm definitely taking a chance on him. I think he's going to give you a, a, a nice performance. Uh, Emiliano Grillo, what I love about him is there was a 61 on Sunday. Yeah. And that will give you confidence. You get a, a ball striker like him to go out and shoot a 61. And there's confidence that comes from that. And and I expect him to roll it over. And I, I don't think you're chasing here because it was a T18 finish at 9,100. I don't think the price is too high. And I, I just think there's a lot of upside with Emiliano Grillo this week, who I generally feel like is going to let me down because the he and Keegan, these are guys who they can struggle on the green so much and it can be so costly in an event where you got to get to 20 under. But I, I just have a feeling that um, that he's going to show out this week. If you roster these guys, plug them in, close your eyes. They will be difficult to watch basically one way or another. The 8K range, then the sevens, then the sixes. We've got some value to figure out. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. The $8,000 range. This is where we start to see some names. And Sia Najad, I'm looking to you to help me figure this out. So we start at the top here. Johnny Vegas, CT Pan, KH Lee. We round out the bottom. 
Adam Shank, Chris Kirk, Matt Wallace. There are obviously names in between there. But when you start to parse out this $8,000 range, what do you find? So there's a few that jump out at me. Uh, Jonathan Vegas, for obvious reasons. I mean, he's been striking it real, real well. We know off the tee he's great. Uh, but beyond that, he's he's kind of been good in a lot of other categories as well, as we are going to see. I mean, look at the ball striking. It's yeah. pretty tremendous. And the, the putter really doesn't, to the extent it ever lets him down, it's not usually in a super significant way. He can gain a lot with the putter. We see that. There's nothing not to, especially with the price tag, nothing not to like. Is this, there's an argument, there's another guy that I think is pretty, is further down the list that I think is maybe the most mispriced guy, not by a lot, but I think he might be the guy. It might be Johnny Vegas, who has the ball striking acumen, hits it much further than people know about. His putter's not nearly as bad as some of these other guys that hit it as well as he do, as he does. And then he's he's got a bunch of top 20 finishes here recently. This has been a very good stretch of golf for Johnny Vegas, see ya. It's incredible. I mean, I, when was the... Okay, so we see the miscut at the Northern Trust, but prior to that, the, the last miscut was at the Zurich at April 25th. That's a team event. Go back one more. The Valero, oh, yeah, the, exactly. last, the last, the last individual event. He missed the cut on the number at the Valero Texas Open was the time before the Northern Trust. Right. It's it's pretty incredible. Uh, it's striking actually. And he, speaking of striking, he's striking it better than he really ever has. Nice. Right. Okay. So Johnny Vegas, he's he's going to lead the charge there in the 8K range. Another ball striker that I, that I often lean on. I, I will say he's been pretty pedestrian lately, but approach can really pop. It's the off the tee game that's really been giving him trouble. It's Charlie Hoffman at 8,500. I know when people think Charlie Hoffman, they're like, yeah, but well, like, what's the win equity? Really how I'm looking at Charlie Hoffman is the guys that are around him. I mean, he's priced in the same range as like Lonto Griffin, Ryan Palmer, who's been pretty bad lately, KH yeah. Lee, Carlos Ortiz. Like, It just seems like he probably deserves to be in that flat 9K range or, or that Jonathan Vegas range. So I think you're getting value there. And Again, he's usually better at the beginning of seasons uh, rather than the, the latter end of season. So I think there's something to be said for that. The only other guys I'll point out are uh, Adam Schenk. And I think KH Lee is kind of sneaky. Uh, I think even though he's not a distance guy, he's been – you don't need to be here, obviously. He's par 72, 7,100 yards. Um, I think because of the recent play and just because he's been good on shorter courses – uh, I think Cage Lee's a fine play that not a lot of people will roster. Yeah, and I'll pile on with um, with Shank here for you. He's been knocking at the door much more often than I think people realize. The 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 event at the Shriners where people are like, oh, he coughed it up on Sunday, whatever. Okay, finishes T3 there, fourth at the Barracuda, T4 at the John Deere. That's three top four finishes in his last nine starts. And the way he does it is approach and putting which is generally a very volatile high upside set of skills uh so i do i do certainly enjoy adam shank uh greg let's turn our attention uh, to you here for this eight thousand dollar range there's still one more name we haven't touched on that i think i'm interested in i'll hold on that and see what you have to say first i'm hoping it's lanto griffin yeah, it is. Right? Uh, and and Lato Griffin, I, I love the price for him here at 8400 He was 37th on tour, strokes gain approach to green last year, which is quite good. Um, it, it's an area of strength of his. He hits a lot of greens of regulation. He is a long hitter. So far this year in 2022, he's averaging 309.5 off the tee. So if you do think the data is going to carry a little more weight and distance is going to be important, Lonto has that in spades and he has a, a really, really simple golf swing, which I enjoy watching for one. Um, and, and I think that leads to some really high quality iron play. The putting is another strength of his, which yes. could be quite important this week. He's a guy that I think can really fill it up on the greens this week. Um, and, and so I, I love Lonto from, from that perspective. I haven't been on Lonto since the match play. Last year, ever since I saw what happened around the greens at the match oh, play. I forgot about that. I Yeah, I, I mean, I don't like to bring it up, but there was a clear point to me where a weakness became uh, scare. It scares you as a player. All of a sudden you say, OK, I got to work on my short game. Short game's a thing holding me back. And you hit two shots like that and you say, is, is that going to happen again? And it's a real concern. And I think he's had enough time now to get back in the groove. I know he's been spending a lot of time working on that short game. He knows it's the area he needs to improve on the most. This is a golf course that has a lot of rough around the greens. 
It, it's not full of runoff areas, which benefits a player who struggles with short game, uh, especially the way he does. If you're worried about stubbing a, a blade in a chip, you'd rather be in rough, even if it's thick, than on a really tight lie. So I, I think that can be an advantage for Lonto Griffin. I saw him hole a bunker shot at the Shriners the other week. He came in sixth place there. He did not play last week, which is another, again, it's not a huge thing to lean on, we saw guys come back from Japan and perform really well the very next week in Memphis. So they can handle the travel, but I, I love the rest. I love the week of rest. I don't think that can hurt at all. So uh, Lonto Griffin is definitely a, a favorite of mine in this range. Yeah. He the, does in fact, it, he's the favorite. He does it similarly with um, uh, Adam Shank. The, the two things approach putting when that, when those get going uh, he's a little bit dangerous. Anybody else here in the eight K range for you, Greg? No, I, I like I like Johnny Vegas, like you guys said, yeah. and I like Shank as well. So those would be my three. Those are the three names I had circled coming in. I'm glad nobody mentioned Lonto because he's my he's my top dog in this range. I'm really thinking he's he's ready for a, a nice consistent run. And the last thing I'll add on Lonto, this is a time of year where we've seen some real success out of him in the fall. The Houston Open, an event he yeah. won in the fall two years ago. I'm um, just being one of them, the Shriners last week again, or, or two weeks ago, rather uh, hugely successful. So I, I'm looking for a big week at Alonto. Fingers crossed for Lonto. See you as the self-proclaimed uh, president of the Ryan Palmer fan club. Um, my friend, and I hate to say this, I love Ryan Palmer. It, it, it is not, it's not happening right now. It has not been good. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is troubling to see all the red on this page. I, I don't know what to make of Ryan Palmer. I mean, I, I think again, he's one of those guys that's going to be low owned. And if, if you're doing 10 or 15 lineups, it certainly makes sense knowing what his pedigree was, let's say a year ago when he was kind of getting hot a little bit. And we, you know, he has some good history. I think it's fair to put him in a lineup and just see if you get lucky, but yeah, I mean, the putting and the approach play, which which we think are going to be pretty important here. I mean, you could even add in around the green. That, that's been pretty bad, too. The only thing that he's even been decent at is off the tee. So it's I don't know when he's going to turn it around, but uh, there's just no reason to play him here, I don't think. Unfortunate. I like him. Hopefully he figures it out here shortly. The $7,000 range starting to get a little bit bigger here. Luke List, Gary Kigo, Robert Streb at the top goes down to... Oh boy, Sepp Straka, Doug Gim, Tom Hoagie. Uh, Greg, when you start to look at the $7,000 range, I see, let me see. I've got two guys. I got two guys I think I like more than uh, the rest. Where are you headed here? I'll give you one way down at the bottom uh, of this range. who I, I expect to have a really nice week, uh, and it's Tom Hoagie. Tom Hoagie, again, another guy that um, specializes in approach play, and he's done it. At the CJ Cup, he gained, he gained, you see some really dark green numbers at the CJ Cup, at the Shriners, at the Sanderson, at the Fortinet, uh, yeah, again at the BMW. He's, he's starting to really get a groove together with his ball striking. And then you've seen some finishes match up. Tied 14th at the Shriners, tied 32nd at the CJ Cup. That tied 32nd in, in an event like we saw last week, and I'd include the Shriners in this as well, these events can be very misleading. You can leave feeling really good about your game and really confident in the way you played, and and it can be a tied 40th. Like Joaquin Neiman, I, I think, is in that category. He's feeling good. It just you you get lapped if you don't get hot. You gotta make you gotta string together birdies to just keep your head above water and stay in the mix. And when you don't do that, it doesn't mean you're playing poorly, it can mean you're close. And I look at that stretch that Tom Hoagie has uh, approaching the green, yeah, which is his strength. It's his fingerprint. He lives. That's where he makes his money on the PGA Tour. That's where he pops. When that's good, it, it's a sign of things to come. So I, I love Tom Hoagie, Rick. He, he's my, um, my I, I, he's strangely my top guy in this range, and he's at the at the very bottom of it. Four straight events where Tom Hoagie has gained at least three strokes on approach. That is certainly a nice little feat. Sia, when you look at this $7,000 range, who are you plucking out of it? Well, there's one guy I really like, and he's going to be your first round leader, by the way, at 55 to one. And it's none other than Henrik Norlander. Um, oh speaking of approach, the, the guy's been <laughs> kind of going off on approach 
Um, yeah. Strokes gained par four, strokes gained par five. He's been good there. One missed cut since the Palmetto, and since that time, also two top five. So he certainly has the upside, and he's just kind of crushing the ball here. Yeah, I like this. So you can see um, these outliers, uh, these are good. This is good volatility where for four days at a time, it doesn't happen always, right? But four days at a time, uh, Norlander can put it all together. Gains over seven strokes on approach at the Barbasol. That's hard to do. A couple weeks later, over eight at the Sanderson Farms. He has these outlier type extreme ceiling um, weeks, which I think is, is always very valuable. Let me try a couple here. Um, I have two. One is Harry Higgs, who had himself a very good Vegas swing, 27th at the Shriners, 9th at the CJ Cup. Uh, I think he's no short on no shortage of confidence coming from the Harry Higgs camp. Let's let's put it that way. And the other, this is our first step into some of the Japanese players. Uh, Takumi Kanaya is seventy two hundred dollars, Greg, and he is. I, he, listen, he spent over fifty weeks as the number one amateur in the world. He plays uh, a lot on the Japanese tour plays. Well, where, where do we start to blur this line of some of the guys who are going to be very, very comfortable in these conditions, but they're not established PGA tour pros and is $7,200 too expensive for Takumi. I, I have a hard time with it. Uh, it's, it's difficult to judge how somebody's going to do when they step into the light of a PGA tour event. And you don't know if the mental game, for a lot of reasons, it's not like if you're if you're looking at a college player here and you see him play in a USAM, you can hear interviews, you can hear conversations, you can hear what other experts in the local know ab about this player. And there's a lot more information to gain with players in Japan or in Korea. We other players in some of these foreign tours. It's hard to get a real sense of how their game's going to match up. And, and some of that is the language barrier. We don't hear the interviews. We can't quite take the same amount of information from them. Part of it is the experience. And you don't, you just don't know as much. So for me personally, and I could be missing something. I'm, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I just have a hard time going with a player like that rather than a, uh, a player like Tom Hoagie or even a, a Doug Gim, right? You got Chesson Hadley. These are guys that we know, we know what they are. And I feel much more confident with that. But I know Sia loves game theory. You do too, Rick. There's There's got to be a ownership decrease for all the reasons I just mentioned. So maybe I fall into the popular camp here. But it's I always talk about you got to hang your hat on something. You got to know what you're – you got to have a reason for picking a player. And I don't have enough – I don't have enough reasons. I don't have enough boxes to check with – um, with the players from the Japan tour, unfortunately. See, Takumi Kanaya has finished inside the top 16 of his last seven Jap Japan tour events. Does it matter? And would you rather have a more unknown entity like Takumi Kanaya or some of these known entities like, hey, Sepp Strzok has missed four cuts in a row and seven of his last nine. You know what I mean? Like wh where this is, this is what I actually think are some of the hardest decisions of the week. Yeah. And I, I, I think you can kind of rest a little bit on the stat that you just mentioned about Kanaya and the fact that he, he was the top amateur for as long as he was. I mean, that, that tells us a little bit. And here's, here's the thing. I agree with Greg in large part. I want to have a little bit more information, but when you have a field like this, especially in a no cut event, I think you can maybe lean on the unknown just a little bit more. So I'm okay taking Kenai. I'll probably roster him a little bit. Uh, so yeah, in a normal event where you're having you know a cut after day two, I'd probably be a little bit more shy. But here, I think he probably possesses some up some unknown upside, and I'm willing to speculate on that. But to your point, by the way, there's some guys around him like. Brandon Steele's going to get completely ignored. And he hasn't been very good lately, but if you look at his metrics, they're not that bad. He's been okay on approach. He's been okay with the putter. He's been, you know, kind of bad everywhere else. But I just think, like, speaking of game theory that Greg brought up, there are certain guys, honestly, Brandon Steele might be lower owned than Kanaya because Kanaya is going to be a popular right. name since he was that top amateur. He has that label on him. I, I just think some of these guys right around him are very interested. So when you look at the unknown entity, there's something known. We know they're good players, right? They mm -hmm. they're in this event. They qualify for this event for a reason. 
And on, on the Japan tour, in order to qualify, you have to be in a much smaller percentage. So, you know, these are the, these are the top dogs on their tour. Does that give you guys enough information looking at their results on the Japan tour, other international events that they've played to say, yeah, this is, this is worth the risk. Cause it, it, that's the other thing for me is it's hard to differentiate between players competing on tours that, uh, that I'm not familiar with. I don't know what the true level of competition is. We haven't seen a lot of, uh, uh, we haven't seen an influx of players from the Japan tour coming to the U S and having success on the PGA tour. There hasn't been a lot of that. So there's not that past, which look, this is just, these are my own personal biases here. I, I don't have that data to say, okay, players on the corn Ferry tour, when they win on the corn Ferry tour, they come out to the PGA tour and have immediate success. Hmm. Players on the European tour have come to the U.S. and, quite frankly, struggled. There, there are players who have lit it up on the on the European tour, and they come to the PGA tour, and it takes them a while to find success if they do it all. So the the international players, except for the players who kind of come right out of the amateur ranks to the PGA tour, these are stars. The Sung JMs who's playing Corn Ferry tour, Joaquin Neiman comes to mind, Mito Pereira comes to mind. Again, played Corn Ferry tour. The players who come from international tours tend to struggle, in my experience, from what I've seen on the PGA Tour, and it and it pushes it pushes me away a little bit. This is probably a much larger conversation with nuances and all this other stuff uh, for another day. But you're 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 right, Greg, in that uh, the very very best in the world find their way to the PGA Tour, and you point out the Mito Pereiras and the Hideki Matsuyamas and the Sung J Ms, but you don't. But we would also point out the American players who did not make it to the PGA Tour, right? Like we've got to play both sides of this. There's a million yeah, American fair. guys who can't get onto the to the PGA Tour. So it's like I, I defer, of course, Sia, to the data. I like to look at the strength of the strength of field that the official World Golf Rankings put out puts puts out there. Some of these Japanese tour events are equivalent to some of the weaker European tour fields or even some of the weaker like Bermuda championship or Corrales Punta Cana resort and club championship, which will no longer have that official name. Like that's, that's the type of fields that they get. So I think we just have to be aware of how these tours can compare. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's a case by case basis. Obviously I, I think here, when you look at the field strength, it, it almost implies some upside with all of these lower guys. I mean, you, you got Tommy Fleetwood at 10,000. I <laughs> yeah. think just knowing that this is not a very strong field. And so it's not a regular kind of PGA event where we have to worry about 30 or 40 outstanding PGA tour golfers. And and Tommy Fleetwood is guaranteed to win this week with all the slander yes. that we have put on him for yes, the last hour true. or so. Let's wrap this up with the six thousand dollar range. It's large. You have a lot of the the, the Japan Tour uh, exemptions in here as well, but also a couple of more established uh, PGA Tour professionals. The top of this range: Cheston Hadley, Troy Merritt, Doc Redman, Roger Sloan goes all the way down to Wesley Bryant is in this field. Uh, Bill Haas is sixty one hundred. There is also a name that just got added. Uh, because Paul Casey withdrew, that is Sean Norris. He is a flat 6,000. He's not on my cheat sheet yet. He is also in this field. We can talk about him. But Greg, when you start to look at this, and if you want to get Xander, if you want to get Colin, and you want to stay towards the top, you might have to venture down into this range. Yeah, and there's a, a player who really sticks out to me at 6,500. I think he could open up a lot of opportunity in your lineup. Now, he has been a popular fantasy player before, and he may be popular again this week. Sia so will know a lot more than me, but he's coming off a really nice, a, a really nice um, event at the Shriners, uh, and it's it's Matthew Neesmith, who's also again he fits that model. The data we have on him says just like Tom Hoagie, his his mo is iron play, his mo is ball striking, and if you go to Rick's. I guess this is the uh, the Holy Grail, and you start looking at guys in approach. Neesmith is going to pop up before a lot of other guys in the 9K range. He's going to pop up before some really, really good 8-play guys in in the approach category. And I like that for one. So I, I think Neesmith is a guy, although it's been inconsistent, you're paying for that price. I like the T14 at the Shriners. And I think we may be seeing something and I'm looking forward to long-term. I'm looking for this guy 
who was a star on the Corn Ferry Tour to gain a little bit of success, gain a little bit of momentum and figure something out on the PGA Tour um, for the remainder of this year. So I think he could be a really good play. And then the here, other guy I like here are hold on let me oh, let me put a stat in there real quick for you because uh you mentioned it. So since the start of 2010, that's as far back as my database goes. Here are the best approach players in this field. One is Colin Morikawa, two is Will Zalatoris, three is Hideki Matsuyama. Absolutely no surprises there. Matthew Neesmith is fourth. Uh, ahead of Emiliano Grillo. He obviously has less rounds than some of these guys. He has more rounds than Will Zalatoris. So he is an absolute great iron and wedge player to your point, Greg. Sorry, who's your other guy? Other guy, um, another ball striker. And I feel I feel like I'm kind of hanging on with this one. But I just, I love, the, I love watching this guy. And he's done me right so many times in the past. So I, maybe, maybe I'm two or three weeks late on him. But I, I love... I just, I love the upside with Roger Sloan. Um, again, the Sanderson farms went really well for him. He was 14th there. I got on the bandwagon at the Shriners and it did not go very well. And, um, and this week I expect it to go well. Again, you see the inconsistent when, when he plays well, you see some great ball striking. You see some great iron play when it doesn't go well. He can, he can lose it there again. He's 6,800. And you're you don't know what you're going to get because you could get this could go either way. But I have a feeling you're going to see a really good week from him ball striking wise. And and he may be a, a good play. I don't like him as much as Neesmith, but I do like him. Roger Sloan and Matthew Neesmith. Uh, I've got two, but see, ya. find me some value, please, sir. I mean, I already did. I did at the beginning of the show. You know what's really interesting? You just showed that approach list, right? By the way, for those of you yeah. viewing, just go back to the 54-minute mark. That's where it was. Here it is. Yeah. Guess who was seventh and ninth on that list? Oh, uh, Kyle no. Stanley and Wesley Bryan. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> uh, can't believe that. So, okay, listen, let's qualify that. Kyle Stanley is absolutely hilarious with the short game, both ARG and, and putting. It's, it's, not, it's not a good look. You think that's funny? I don't think that's funny, Sia. I don't think he thinks it's funny. (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) You either there there comes a point where you have to laugh about it, right? Where it's that bad that you have to laugh about it. And and if you sort of buy into the theory that might be completely false that I sort of lobbed to you guys about 25 minutes ago, that maybe, maybe bad putters can be okay here. The ball striking is absolutely outstanding. And by the way, as far as Wes Bryan is concerned. He's really good on approach. He's historically, he's been really good on approach and, and all the other metrics, maybe not off the tee, but the short game isn't terrible with Wes Bryan historically either. So if you're really trying to save money in a no cut event, you could certainly go down here. I'm going to have a couple shares of, of both of these guys, believe it or not. Um, if you go a little bit higher, there's not a lot that I like. I might take a chance on a Sam Ryder or, or a Roger Sloan. I'm not really into Matthew Neesmith this week, especially if he happens to be popular, but I don't think he'll be super popular. Um, Sung Kang is another guy I'd consider, but the metrics don't exactly jump off the page there. So 6K range, I'm largely avoiding. But again, uh, it's a 78-person field. You, you got to have slots for everybody. I think uh, I think Wesley Bryan, Kyle Stanley, and I'll throw out one other name, Kita Nakajama. He's the top, the top amateur after, uh, who was it we were talking about? Takumi Kanaya. Um, I think that's an interesting name, sort of in the same breath as, you know, top amateur uh, with uh, Kanaya. I think he's a guy to consider. A couple of things worth noting. Um, actually, this isn't really worth noting, but I, I I wish we could have seen a healthy, a healthy Wesley Bryan for a while. Not that I think he's some unbelievable talent like Rory McIlroy, but a very good approach player who came off that major medical, missed like two full seasons, missed some time here recently. I think he broke his arm or had surgery on his arm or something. He was, I saw him on the vlog, the, the, the Brian bros vlog. Uh, and he was in a cast of some type, but hopefully, uh, hopefully he can stay healthy. Cause I do, I do like his game. Full disclosure. I did not know about the cast thing. So I'm yes. a little bit, this is his first event in, since like May. <laughs> I'm a little bit hey. more, uh, lukewarm about that West Bryan call. I'm still going to have a share or two. Rick, can you, can you do me a favor? Can you yeah. go back to the Kyle Stanley, the Kyle Stanley? Look, look at just, this is like, I, I can I don't know if I've seen a more Christmas like looking chart here. <laughs> I mean, you have green on one side. It's like an elf hat, right? It's green on one side and red on the other. I, there's no, is there another player on tour that has, 
a record like this where they are so deep in the red around the greens and putting and so dark green successful ball striking i don't i can't i've i've never seen that the ball striking out of this world it's dominant ball striking here's here's luke list uh but his is mostly putting He's actually not bad around the green, but like right. you just kind of you just kind of look through this. Like uh, here's I'm sorting this I'm sorting this by ball striking. So Kyle Stanley's here. He loses the most in the short game. Otherwise, uh, the, he, Tyler McCumber, but he's not a, he's not as good of a ball striker. So right, no, there's, there's he's no just got way like more Kyle red. Stanley. Yeah, there's it's, no one there's no one like Kyle Stanley. It's like an even split. It's crazy. It's amazing. anyway. I digress. Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. Um. Sung Kang was on my list because it's just like, uh, he's not priced right. I don't know if it's $500 or $700 or a thousand dollars, but this is a guy that routinely finishes in the top half percent of, uh, PGA tour events. He's not, he's not priced right. So I'm, I'm cool with that. But the other one is, uh, the guy that I mentioned, Sean Norris, he is uh, a min $6,000. I have his official world golf ranking page over here. He's the top 100 player in the world. He won the Japan Open Golf Championship last week. He's piling up top 10, top five finishes. He's actually South African playing on the Japan Golf Tour. Um, He is min-priced. So he got added to this field because uh, Paul Casey withdrew. He would open up a lot of options for you in a no-cut event. Where is he? Is he top 100 in the world? He's 86th. Yeah. That's a a good value. 86th in the world. Yeah, that's it's great. He plays a lot on the European tour too, as well, right? Yeah, I, he I had him. he had a T five at the BMW International Open in the summer on the European tour. He played he played the Open Championship, missed the cut. Uh, played the Irish Open, missed the cut. I mean, he plays he plays other events. He played the 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 Qatar Masters, finished fourteenth there. It's um yeah, he, he's a good golfer. I like it. There you go. Me too, gentlemen. Anything else before we get out of here on this Zozo Championship DFS episode? I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Lock in Kyle Stanley. Obviously. Find, find me a throw away the key. Who would be the opposite? I just I just unshared my screen. But who would be the opposite of like if we could pick take Kyle Stanley and say, okay, you hit the full shots and this guy gets to play the short game? Like, who could we pair him with to make the absolute like ideal player man well i'm not sure if anyone has as much red and green as evenly split but a a guy like patrick reed comes to mind if you could pair his short game and putting with kyle stanley's ball striking it would be elite but pat it may not be a fair fight because patrick reed is such a you know a, a highly ranked player in the world how about this uh in this field i just have this sorted by in this field uh okay brendan todd Oh, that's a great one. Brendan Todd gains three quarters of a stroke in the short game and loses three quarters of a stroke in the ball striking categories. That's the guy. A match made in heaven. So Con- I got a I got a question for you. Uh, Ryder Cup. Rick Gaiman is the captain. Is he picking with his <laughs> with his captain's picks? Kyle Stanley and Brendan Todd as alt shot specialists. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I will uh, live and die with the data because at least if, if this blows up and then we get those guys get smoked nine and eight, I'll at least be like, well, you know, the data was the data was interesting. Those are my we shots. need like a modified alternate shot where you can have somebody hit the first two shots and somebody chip and putt and then you just do that the whole way through instead of alternating or like 150 yards out is what 150 yards and out is one guy 149 yards and in is another guy and then they could strategically figure that out now that would be a fierce team yeah so fun fact uh brandon todd kyle stanley the two guys with two first names i think oh. the key is to have a first and a, and a traditional last name and you can be good at both see so. you can't trust two guys with two first names and that's no. that's these guys problem yeah that's <laughs> thanks for nothing mom and dad Mm, gotta have a tough first you have four first names in one group it's too much to handle let's not i mean we're not going to add in middle names are we i don't know their middle names so no they're probably they're definitely first names their middle names are definitely first names if i know anything about those guys i'll look it up later (laughs) i think that'll do it 
Producer Jacob does all the hard work behind the scenes. Thank you very much. That right there, Sia Najad. Find him on Twitter at Sia Najad. Greg Ducharme, you can find him at The Real GFD, and you can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been The First Cut, and we'll catch you next time. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.